Are we finally trading mean girls for sisterhood? Female friendships have traditionally been depicted on screen with a rigid hierarchy, whether it's the queen bee ruling over her drones. She's the queen bee, the star. Those other two are just her little workers. Or the heroine protagonist with her less important sidekick. Feels like I gotta love and I know that it's all mine. Okay, okay, wait, wait, so are you going to see him again? But plenty of stories about female friends today are moving beyond rivalry arcs and towards centering equal sisterly bonds. To the first Friday night in our first London house. And to many more Friday nights. Recent representations of friendships between young women have started to look more like what we're used to seeing in stories about older women. Friendships that aren't disrupted by women having to strive in a cutthroat social pecking order or to snap the right job or man. Yeah, she might be a tech. But she's my tech. These portrayals also have more in common with the male friendships we saw featured in the peak bromance era of the 2000s, which got to feel more balanced, flexible, and fun. I love you, dude. I love you, bro, Montana. Here's our take on how the new generation of female BFFs on screen are finally dispensing with so many bad cliches and showcasing how having a true friend makes everything in life better. Stories of female friendship in the 2000s and early 2010s were often bound up in stories of rivalry. 2004's Mean Girls shined a light on the tactics of female relational aggression. Katie, will you please tell him his hair looks sexy pushback? I knew how this would be settled in the animal world. But this was Girl World. Even in Bridesmaids, a film that broke the mold of studio comedies with its predominantly female cast and central focus on female friendship instead of romance, the main conflict is the fierce rivalry between Helen and Annie. That's what friends are for! Because the female interactions in so many films are defined by competition, the scripts sometimes inadvertently wind up representing the romantic arc as the most stable and grounding force in the women's lives. Hey, how did everything go? Strangely well. In Bring It On, while the film is ostensibly about the rivalry and friendships among the cheerleaders, it's Cliff and Torrance's romance that seems to act as the emotional heart of the movie. Similarly, in Pitch Perfect, it's Becca and Jessie's romance that subtly carries us through. In fact, when she finally gets the girls in an acapella group to come together and embrace each other to win nationals, they perform a medley built around Jessie's favorite song. As you walk on by, will you call my name? Films like Carrie, Heathers, and Mean Girls offered interesting insights through investigating the ways Queen Bee-led girl groups could be underhanded, clicky, and exclusive, reflecting wider societal problems. Those rules aren't real. They were real that day I wore a vest, because that vest was disgusting. But as this framework morphed into a ubiquitous cliché, it could start to feel that the primary representation of female relationships on screen was this one idea of catty aggression. In recent years, though, we've seen a shift away from this rivalry-centered framework in a wide array of examples ranging from Parks and Recreation to Dairy Girls. Refreshingly, stories of group friendships in high school, college, and early adulthood are moving beyond simply replicating the standard mean girl clique. While high school show Euphoria 
Victoria may center a group of it girls, complete with the mean girl and the pretty one. The focus is on how these friends actually love each other, and when they do have conflicts, it feels tragic for them. The Sex Lives of College Girls, set in college, also adds more nuance, highlights a kinder, warmer idea of young female friendship, and subverts our expectations of cattiness. The character of Layton is introduced as the typical posh, snobby, mean girl. We're so happy to meet you. I'm sorry, who the f are you? But instead of this making her the class queen bee, she struggles to connect with the other girls at first. In fact, her perfectly polished demeanor gets in the way of social capital. At the Kappa brunch, Leighton fails to make friends with her researched approach. You are the senior social chair at Choate, right? Um, yeah, how did you know that? It's all on the website. <laughs> stalker much? <laughs> While Whitney is embraced because she lets the girls know the real her. Over the course of the series, Layton starts to become more comfortable with herself and ends the season by forming real friendships through being vulnerable with the roommates she initially pegged as dorky. Don't cry, he's not worth it. It wasn't a guy, it was a girl. I'm gay. Meanwhile, fellow roommate Bella's arc even more explicitly deconstructs the trope of female rivalry. At the start of the season, Bella competes with other women for limited spots on the Catullan, a prestigious comedy publication. But by the end of the season, she and the other women realize they shouldn't have to compete against each other. If the Catullan forces them to fight, they don't want to be at the Catullan. You were right, that place is awful. We wanted to start a new comedy thing with you, ladies only. We see this model likewise in stories about women post-college in early adulthood, whereas Star Starting in 2012, Girls was still largely about how a group of female friends could be toxic with each other. I have come to realize how exhausting and narcissistic and ultimately boring this whole dynamic is. From 2016 to 2021, Insecure centered the friendship up and downs of four women as they found their way to a more mature adulthood in their professional and personal lives, always emphasizing how important and fulfilling nurturing true friendships is. I am so in love with you. Good job now. Other stories like Broad City starting in 2014 and 2019's Booksmart have debunked the leader and sidekick cliche through stories about equal two-person friendships where both take great joy in each other's presence. And whereas film and TV are classically full of female relatives fighting, 2022's Bad Sisters looks at what real female friendship looks like in a family context, too. The show's close-knit central group of sisters may bicker, but more often they have great times and they'll go to any lengths for each other, even if it means getting embroiled in a murder plot. You're talking about taking a man's life. Not a man. That man. That monster. We've also seen an important move away from the female rivalry at work trope. When there are two women in the same workplace, they have to be like mortal enemies. But look at us, like, I love you, I think you're the best. <laughs> the idea that two women can't root for each other at work is just disgusting. Compare the 2006 movie The Devil Wears Prada to The Bold Type, which ran from 2017 to 2021. In The Devil Wears Prada, two young women in the fashion magazine industry are viciously pitted against each other. Face it, Andy. You sold your soul. The day you put on that first pair of Jimmy Choo's, I saw it. The bold type is the exact opposite. It's set in the same high-pressure industry, but instead there's a focus on teamwork and mutual support as the women help each other move up through their careers. Move your ass! Uh, excuse me, my friend is having a moment. So rude. More supportive on-screen female friendships aren't totally new, but previously they tended to be confined to stories of older women. My mother always used to say, the older you get, the better you get, unless you're a banana. 
Whereas younger female characters are often depicted as being fiercely independent as they focus on their personal goals, older women get to be more community-oriented. We could already see some of this sisterly love and maturity in the foursome of Sex and the City, who were still pretty young, mostly 30-somethings in the original show, but feeling a little more established in life than the 20-something singletons they encountered. The only thing worse than being single and in your 30s in this city is being single and in your 20s. Yet in this era, the main characters are still self-motivated, each focused on their own path and obsessed with their romantic lives. How does it happen that four such smart women have nothing to talk about but boyfriends? When we revisit them in And Just Like That in their 50s, even as their lives have developed in different directions, they've learned to rely on their friends in an even deeper way. Though Samantha has moved on in life, the remaining ladies' worries feel bigger and more existential, but they deal with these bigger questions that come with age together. Thank you. For what? For not arguing with me, trying to make me feel better. Me? Argue? I don't know what you're talking about. Typically, in stories of older women's friendship, the women have already had their main romantic storyline, and so their friendships don't need to compete with their romantic arcs. In fact, the friend groups often come together around a shared experience, typically related to some fallout from their past romantic relationships. In Waiting to Exhale, two of the women are divorcees, the other two are longtime mistresses, and all four are searching for new partners that value them. Here's to peace of mind and all the happiness that your heart and hand can hold, because Lord knows you deserve it." In First Wives Club, the women come together because they have all been mistreated by their husbands, and much like in Waiting to Exhale, they help each other restore their sense of self-worth so that they can get the comeuppance they deserve. You are never going to change. And I hope not. That's right. I hope none of us ever change. I hope we always get to stay the same, tired and happy. Both these movies end with some of the women pursuing new or rekindled romantic relationships, but other times the women in stories like these more explicitly reject the roles of wife and mother that society forces them into. In Thelma and Louise, their time on the run feels like a necessary emancipation from the trapped lives they were living. I don't remember ever feeling this awake. You know what I mean? Everything looks different. So rather than return to their oppressive roles, they decide to drive off the side of a cliff together. Other female friendships among older women reject conventional gender roles more subtly, without anyone driving off a literal cliff. Golden Girls focuses on a group of women trying to navigate being single at an age where they thought they were past these anxieties. When Rose begins dating for the first time since her husband died, she's understandably nervous about the prospect of having sex with someone new. Rather than sitting with these fears herself, she benefits from sharing them with friends who are supportive and encouraging, and she gets to move on and have this new romantic experience. But at the end of the episode, the best part seems to be going back home to be with her friends. It was wonderful. Oh, honey, this is terrific! Oh. oh, I'm so happy, and I have you two to thank for it. More recently, Grace and Frankie about a friendship that develops between two former female rivals after their husbands leave them for each other highlights the same joys of finding a true friend later in life. While we may expect that the guarantee of happiness in old age is a long-term partnership or perfect family, stories like Grace and Frankie remind us that a friend who gets you, offers you fun, and supports you having new experiences can be the most amazing way to feel truly alive at any age. These stories undo some of the ways our society fails to prize friendship as an important value in life. And today, on-screen female friendships of all ages are drawing from these same lessons to emphasize supportiveness, community, and vulnerability among friends. 
recent representations of friendships between young women take on an almost romantic tone. They're intimate and vulnerable. The only way you can be happy is if you're yourself. They're centered in the characters' lives. They're supportive and loving. You're smart as a whip, and you're cool under pressure. And maybe most importantly, they embrace play. Missed ya. I missed you. I missed you so much. Play can be crucial in forming who we are as people, especially when we're young. We often get to see young couples finding themselves through play in romantic montages, but the female friendship equivalent is typically a makeover or shopping trip montage that's more about the fashion than the friendship. Stranger Things subverts this trope. When Eleven and Max go on a shopping trip, their montage isn't about showing off clothing to the camera, but instead about Eleven finding herself, having fun, and coming out of her shell. You've never been shopping before, have you? Well, then I guess we're just gonna have to try everything. Through play, Max creates space for Eleven to figure out and understand the world she's living in. Before her friendship with Max, Eleven's life is defined by rules and boundaries. But Max does away with all these rules in one fell swoop, and we see a new side of Eleven begin to emerge. Come on, where are we going? <laughs> to have some fun. There's more to life than stupid boys, you know. And play isn't just being treated like romance in stories about young girls. In We Are Lady Parts, Sarah encourages Amina to embrace her inner rock star with an almost romantic-feeling emphasis on play. Am I really that bad? Not bad. You're that good. You gotta own your freakiness before your freakiness owns you. Amina starts the series with a single-minded focus on completing her PhD and finding a husband. But as the series goes on, Sarah pushes Amina out of her comfort zone and repeatedly reminds her of how amazing and talented she is, until Amina admits that she loves being a part of the band and just wants to play. You know what? I, I, I really like it. I just want to play. Everything I Know About Love also explores the importance of play and friendship even as you become an adult. Maggie, Birdie, Nell, and Amara are all entering adulthood together, but when they lean too far into the idea of themselves as adults, it disrupts their friendship. We have to grow up and have our own lives. But you don't want that. You just want Nathan's life. It's when they're in their more playful moods that their friendships feel strongest. When Maggie and Bertie are in playful moments, they have a chance to reflect and remember why they became friends in the first place. The show emphasizes this by cutting between sequences of Bertie and Maggie dancing as adults and doing the same dances as teenagers. I do think you remember more about me than me. Of course I do. That's the whole point of being best friends with someone your whole life. Instead of being a major source of negativity or tension in the story, these female friendships nourish, motivate, and ground the characters like a romantic story arc traditionally would. While the rest of the world may be trying to encourage these women to grow up or change who they are to better suit a job or a boyfriend, these female friendships get to be about connection, self-love, and play. The roadmap culture has given for young women coming of age has historically been pretty narrow. Even as we've moved through waves of feminism, there has still been a sense of individualism that's pervaded. In fact, sometimes that individualism has been conflated with feminism. Female success has been equated with career advancement, romantic success, and making it on your own. Oh, I wish me luck. What for? I'm gonna go get one of those job things. But female friendships on screen are shifting away from that framework. We're starting to celebrate the value of the collective over the individual, and to celebrate community as essential, nourishing, and crucial to discovering who you are. Jobs and relationships may come and go, but these closer sisterly bonds are forever. Now we're representing them with the importance they deserve. Go leave that legacy in the world. 